All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the 27th day of April, 2021. I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. Also want to encourage you to continue sending along any comments that you might have about this show. Send it to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number four, Taylor, at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Uh, without them, there would be no show. Today's sponsors are Novo Resources, Sitka Gold Corp, El Oro Resources, Irving Resources, Hannon Metals, Lion One Metals, SK Mining Corp, and Firefox Gold. I've titled today's show, Why the Future of Money is Gold and Silver. Alistair McLeod, Michael Oliver, and Chen Lin return as guests. With Bitcoin's price still rising and expected to rise even more, there has been a growing belief in cryptocurrency circles that it will replace unbacked government currencies when they eventually fail. Governments and central bankers have been pushing back against anything that takes away their ability to create counterfeit money, to consolidate power and redistribute wealth to their friends, uh, to their crony capitalist friends. Alistair says the assumptions behind the notion that cryptocurrencies will replace existing fiat money are naive and show an absence of knowledge regarding what qualities are needed for sound money. At the same time, governments resist a return to gold-backed currencies, too. But Alistair believes market forces will ultimately leave governments with no choice but to accept gold as a money due to market forces that will eventually overwhelm the immoral issuance of money by governments. Of course, Alistair's views are largely rebuked by PhD economists far and wide because they have been brought up on the Keynesian religion. But we will ask Alistair why he is so sure that gold will inevitably be returned to money and what signs we might look for to tell us that time is drawing near. Michael Oliver will join me right after the first commercial break to give to give us his latest views on the markets and whether the end of the greatest stock and bond bull market in history might be nearing their end, while commodities, which have been depressed for so very long, are showing signs of breaking out uh, from their long slumber. But before we go to commercial break um, and talk to Michael, I am really pleased to tell you that my friend Chen Lin is with me to share uh, some of his investment ideas. Uh, And if you... I'd really like to say that if you're a serious investor who might like to enter uh, the very exciting biotech sectors uh, as well as precious metals and energy markets, you may do well to consider subscribing to Chen's excellent letter 
what is Chen buying, what is Chen selling, go to ChenPicks.com, ChenPicks.com to sign up for Chen's letter, learn more about it. Uh, welcome, Chen, and thanks for joining us again. Thank you, Jake. Glad to be here. Thank you. Uh, really good to have you again. Uh, you uh, are talking a little bit about India, the devastating COVID problem in India, and you have some thoughts about how they may, uh, you know, setting aside the tragedy and the heartache that's happening with those poor people in India, you have some ideas about how they may impact some of our markets. Would you care to explain? Uh, yeah, first of all, it's really devastating. And uh, between this uh, spike, the recent spike, the India reported already 50%, you know, the people have antibodies, so they seem to have a most people asymptomatic, and then recently seems getting much worse. And then well, people who had antibodies seems not able to protect themselves. So oh. it's really, really worrisome. They have all these mutations, double, triple mutation. I don't know whether our vaccine will work or not. I'm just only hoping and praying mm-hmm. uh, vaccine should work. You know, I should, I think, you know, the our Biden administration, they just try, try to be anti-Trump, and they should have stopped the flight from India, just like Canada did, but mm-hmm. they're not doing. So it's very concerning, but we still need to watch it very closely. But also, India is very, very large gold consumer, okay, that their demand, physical demand, just picking up last quarter, now probably going to go down very uh, dramatically. People could be selling uh, gold as well to live, to, to guide oxygen, right? So. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a very devastating situation. I'm, I'm a little bit worried about their demand, their, their, the impact for the physical gold, you know, demand. Mm-hmm. So that, that, mm-hmm. that's something we should, watch, we should watch out closely. All right. Well, at the same time, though, there has been some indication that China is receptive to increasing its gold imports. So that might have somewhat of an offset. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, and uh, you know, Chinese buyer and Indian buyer are quite similar. They buy on the low. It's just obviously mm-hmm. that the Western, like New York, we buy on the strength, you know, <laughs> and don't buy when they go higher. Yeah. They buy when they are cheap. Yeah. So because they yeah. use it for jewelry, for consumer, for oranges, pass down to generations. So there were some, quite some pickup in Chinese buying as well as India buying in Q1. So the Q2, I think, probably only China so is buying some. Yeah. So. Well, whatever the whatever the situation is in the gold markets, we do, and I echo your thoughts, uh, Chen, uh, hopes and prayers for the people of India and, of course, globally, too, that this uh, pandemic doesn't spread with the mutations and so forth. But uh, another market that I know you're watching very carefully and one that you're very excited about is palladium. Talk to us about the dynamics behind palladium and why it's performing so well. Yeah, palladium. I mean, I was on palladium quite a few years ago when it was below a thousand. I sold out, went away to two thousand. I thought two thousand was very expensive, but even palladium at two thousand, there's no production response. Right, palladium production has been quite flat, and then right now this year we have a chip shortage in automobile. Right, so this year's automobile production worldwide is projected to be ten percent less. Pandemic, pre-pandemic, so be, not last year. Last year was pandemic. Pre-last year, so it's ten percent less of 2019. However, the PGM, palladium, platinum, and all the others are mm-hmm. reported going to be 20, 25 percent more. You know why? Mm. Because of this uh, air pollution standard, of course, on very stingy standard, mostly mm. in China. China going to have a most strict standard, strictest standard in the world. They already start implementing something earlier this year and also mid this year and also the year next next couple of years. So uh, that will require at least 50% more 
啊、uh, ，PGM OK Palladium Platinum and in the heavy trucks, I heard I saw the report that require three times more of of, of of platinum and other PGM because you know pollution in China is very uh, very bad. So the the government here was determined to uh, to have a clean air. So actually, that come out will be the the most the strictest. Treated on the emission standard in the world, so that's that's also lead, also Europe has also have have a new standard. So all these are lead to a, a very rapid demand for uh, palladium and platinum and all the other. We saw rhodium. Rhodium I got a few years ago at a thousand. Now it's thirty thousand, right? Almost thirty thousand. And thirty thousand, we're running out of rhodium. I saw the report early this year. They're replacing rhodium with palladium. <laughs> You saw palladium was very high, but they're actually using that to replace rhodium at one to seven, or some reports at maybe one to five. So that support, you know, you look at it four thousand dollar, maybe five thousand dollar palladium. So right now palladium mm. today just hit three thousand. It has been hitting mm. new high almost every day in the past the past couple of weeks. I was very fortunate. I got on the, the trend as soon as I saw the the Russian uh, palladium mine was flooded. So I got in just like the breakout from them. Two thousand, and now it's three thousand. I think it's probably on the way higher. Think about that. If you're an executive of a GM and Ford, you will be worried, right? With production yeah. is down, demand is higher, and what's going to happen if demand is higher next year for the automaker? <laughs> you know, so it will become a hunger game between all these automakers. One of those has to step up. Maybe they will secure their palladium for the next couple of years. And then that will trigger a tsunami, right? So I see it's uh, it, it, it's probably will go parabolic because it's one of the uh, metals that you cannot print. And then they're using platinum to replace palladium on the other hand. So I think platinum mm-hmm. also get a bit. So I'm quite a bullish on both um, on the platinum, rhodium, mm-hmm. platinum, everything. Yes. You're right. Right. And uh, what, what price was palladium when you got into it, Chen? More or less. Oh, many years ago, I got in like nine hundred. That was many years, yeah. and then got out. You know, remember had a big spike, 2000. I got out too early. I got out, you know, before 2000. But I, I was able to, you know, get back in just a couple of weeks ago uh, at, when they just about to break out. You know, there was a, a news that the Russians' uh, mine was flooded, right, uh, north. Yeah. So, so right. that, that and, you know, that was actually very lucky timing. So when they just started to break out palladium, but also in platinum. Right, mm-hmm. uh, platinum in the past uh, quite a few hundred dollars. So platinum also doing very well. Right. How are you playing those, Chen? Well, you there's those one models? stock they appreciate nicely, but I don't think it's pretty enough. Appreciate enough. It's a uh, Spanish steel water. It's a used to be old steel water mine that would take over by South African Spanish, so called Spanish steel water SBSW. It pays about you know at current uh, price about ten percent. Uh, what you saw on Google is not right because they pay it semi-annually. So they just mm-hmm. we just got like a, almost eighty percent uh, dividend, eighty oh. something, eighty-six. So that was semi-annually because the uh, the first half of last year was pandemic. So they do, didn't pay much dividend. So even though they show pay like five percent, actually more close to ten percent. Uh-huh. And then this wow. year, if it goes, it could pay at least twenty percent, right? So uh, I mean, because they pay out the dividend a certain of their profit and they, they, they're going to have a windfall profit this year and the company has no debt so it's uh, looking very good uh, I think it's that's, still very undervalued even at current price and that's, that symbol is SPSW SB uh, Sam Boy Sam oh. uh, William okay SBW 
SBSW. Yeah, it used to be Stillwater. Okay, all right. Chen, we're just about out of time here. So real quickly, Cerro de Pasco is a name you've mentioned in the past. Where does that stand now with about two minutes left? Yeah, we're just waiting for for their deal with uh, you know they they said Glencore. There has been negotiation back and forth. The company is doing a little bit of raise right now, uh, and uh, it's looking good. And seems to be uh, they they going they getting the money, and they will start to be start drilling. So uh, that will be very exciting time of of this. How you know we see how much metal, uh, what kind of grade it is. Uh, it can be the highest of not one of the highest. Uh, gold, cold mine in the world. So we'll see. It's uh, got a little of everything there. It's like a polymetallic uh, deposit. Right. Historically, or, or... was the Sarah Deposit of copper mine. They mostly uh-huh. mining copper, but that's copper gold. And all day, they don't even recover gold. You know, it could be a few grams of gold right there in the tailing. And then uh-huh. they could be, you know, a couple percent of copper. And we do not know, but it has been there for a few hundred years, right? So it only takes. Uh, Drilling to know that the company originally last year were focused on close, close the deal with Glencore, but apparently Glencore also got an interest in the tailing. They don't want to give out too much, so we'll see. You know, we'll see what what what, what they come out with, what kind of grade we'll see, and um, mm-hmm. and we go from there. So they got the money; they will start uh, drilling very soon. So Glencore wanted out of the deal, and they have gotten out of it, but they still want to sort of stick around, I guess, to see how much value is there. Oh, not really. You can see the Glencore originally wants a deal. They they already reached a deal, and then somehow Glencore, you know, take a little step back. They want to see the drilling, so they don't want to basically give us a silver platter. <laughs> so that that's it, to put it short, you know. Okay, one they want. So I, uh, so they yeah, are they afraid of to. giving us too much. So that yeah. we'll see, and then we'll, well, let's see what, what what we have. They probably have to answer to their shareholders, too, so we can't blame them for that, I guess. Chen, thank you. We're out of time. Thank you so much for your insights. Always a pleasure to have you, and thank you. We'll do it again sometime soon. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thanks. All right, folks. Well, we do have to go to break, but don't go away. Michael Oliver will be with me, and he's, uh, as always, has some very important things to tell us about the major markets. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael Oliver. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Firefox Gold is actively exploring in Finland, where recent discoveries have sparked a new gold rush. Firefox controls a major portion of a prospective gold belt, giving the company a distinct advantage for exploration and strategic partnerships. The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, will put Firefox on the crest of the coming wave of gold discoveries. Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX. Go to firefoxgold.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and really pleased to have with me once again Michael Oliver. It's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com, to sign up for Michael's excellent work. And we're just uh, very honored to have him here with us every other week uh, to give us an update on where he thinks these major markets are. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. Always good to have you with me. And um, I, I know on the weekend... Your weekend missive, um, both the gold one and the regular one. Uh, but the gold one, you talk, or the regular one, you talked about T bonds. That was a front page article was T bonds uh, and gold. Those are two of your safe havens. You figure they're both strongly correlated, uh, at mm-hmm. least for the time being, right? How, how are you seeing those markets uh, right now? Well, I think that we've maneuvered <clears throat> um, sometimes to get a breakout uh, of significance on momentum. There's, there's two ways to do it. One, when you look at a price chart, the only variable is what? The price upswings and downswings, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. But on momentum, you've got the price variable is a factor, but also its relationship to a changing moving average. So we measure, mm-hmm. for instance, gold versus, let's say, a three-month average. Well, there's two factors there, what gold price is doing and what's that three-month average doing. Mm-hmm. Well, when we do the same thing with T-bonds, and as we all know, T-bonds, you know, a government debt, that is, differentiated from corporate high-yield debt, has gone down in price since last August, high, coincident with gold, and yields have risen. And everybody's gotten spooked about this, and they think, it, you know, once it gets going, they seem to think it goes forever. You know, that's typical you know, among investors. Yeah. We see a major bottom setting up in bonds for a very sharp rally, meaning mm-hmm. a drop in yields. Mm-hmm. Now, we see the action since February, March, and now this month especially, we're actually getting upturn in price this month. But momentum started to turn last month. And the structure we want to break out of is not some price-based thing. You look at a price chart of T-bonds, there's just a void above you. In other words, you, mm-hmm. you just go up, there's nothing to stop you, there's no prior floor until you get up around 170, which is actually where I think we're going. We're right now in the mm-hmm. 150s, high 150s. Uh-huh. Uh, but the three-month moving average for T-bonds is dropping nicely, and it's a structure there on our momentum charts. In other words, if you looked at the momentum chart, you'd see the ceiling that's been hit and hit. And boy, if you go through that, it looks like you're going to launch. Mm-hmm. And we think you're going to launch. And it looks like a May event because the moving average is going to drop such that all you have to do next month in T-bond futures, we were talking about right now, uh, they had a high this month just above 159 okay, mm-hmm. which was not a great big rally to get there. And we backed off a point, point and a half or so. If you trade that number again next month, I'm going to break these monthly momentum charts out on T-bonds. And I think T-bonds basically have a void. In other words, when you look at a price chart or a momentum chart and you can't see, you see a breakout, but you don't know where resistance is because you don't see any, anything above you. You know, it's like mm-hmm. open sky. Mm-hmm. Uh, you quite often will get a surge, and I think that's what we're going to get in bonds. Now, given that they're coincident with gold, and look what gold's done. Lo and behold, mm-hmm. it was under mm-hmm. pressure since August. 
It made a low in early March. We're currently $100 off that low. I think that was the low, period, circle it. That was 1673 area. Right now we're 1775 or 1776. Mm -hmm. Gold has essentially the same situation that T-bonds have. That is, if it just hiccups next month to the upside, it's going to start to engage and break out over over some monthly momentum trigger levels that should really get it going. So anyway, Mm -hmm. we have these two alternative markets, bonds and gold. And alternative to whom? Okay. Maybe not most investors, but certainly to large asset managers. When they get shaky about the stock market, and a lot of them right now, and I'm talking the, you know, the well-known names, uh, mm-hmm. hedge fund managers who aren't gold bugs, okay? mm-hmm. but they smell something, and they see a market that's awfully high for 12 years, and they're nervous. No, mm-hmm. they have to, for competitive reasons, hold long positions in the stock market, because you know, their peers, if they get beat by their peers, they lose, lose clients. But they still want to be ready to shift to another category that might they perceive to be safe. And I think the universal consensus among those folks is that government debt, especially the longer debt, 10-year and 30-year, and gold happen to be those two viable alternatives. They certainly were viable back uh, last year when the market was headed down. Uh, And I think they're setting up to go up. Now, if those two markets are setting up to go up, what does that mean about the stock market? (laughs) <laughs> well, that's what, yep. that's what we see, too. If, in other words, forget what you – don't even look at the stock market. Look at bonds and gold. And if they're ready to turn up, that's, that raises a question. Why? Uh, certainly not because inflation is abating. In fact, inflation is getting worse. So why would yields mm-hmm. drop? Mm-hmm. Okay, because yeah, people that's... want safety. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> right. And right. I suspect and... we're – huh? Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, Michael, that looking at your charts uh, on the weekend – uh, if I'm reading it right, uh, the equities are looking a little shaky, too, possibly. If I understand I your structure and momentum on the S&P, I think it, we were looking at a weekly chart. Yeah. And uh, what oh. we're looking for, we look at various time scales. In other words, we don't, everything doesn't happen at once. You don't, yeah. you don't break a, a weekly momentum trend, which is fairly short-term, and, and necessarily break something long-term. So but it's like dominoes lined up. If you topple one, maybe it'll topple into the other and get, the, get a series of breakage going. That's mm-hmm. what we think is about to happen. We're not pounding the table that we've got a top in the stock market, but we do think we probably are at or near a top. And it will be led on the downside by former leadership, that former leadership being the NASDAQ 100 and its front-end loaded symbols. Those symbols we all know, Google, there's two Google stocks, Amazon, Apple, and Microsoft, which constitute about 50% the entire weighting of the NASDAQ 100, and they constitute about 20% of the front end of the S&P 500. So if those guys get into trouble, and they've gotten into trouble in in one regard that we measure, and that is, forget looking at the price charts. Price charts are flat to stable on those stocks for the last several months. Not going up, really, but they're, they're not going down. Their relative performance of those stocks, if you plot a spread, Mm-hmm. between, let's say, the NASDAQ 100 and the S&P, has been collapsing, ah. primarily because the NASDAQ 100 has been going sideways for about three months, and the S&P has been advancing. Mm-hmm. So what that says is that the buyers aren't buying the leadership anymore. Mm-hmm. They're buying other stuff. Interesting, um, yeah. And that spread, usually when that spread turns up or down, and in this case down severely, it will precede a net trend decline. 
So mm-hmm. that reinforces our view. When we put all these little pieces together, the T-bonds bottoming, what does that mean? Gold turning up, 100 off its low and ramping for more, uh, mm-hmm. probably to be, become evident next month. Uh, and the stocks, uh, S&P sort of stalled here for the last few weeks, but holding its own, you know. Uh, all these pieces, when you put them together, suggest that we're about to have those three asset class shift in their trend. Uh, gold back to its upside, T-bonds, sharp rally, and stocks uh, getting getting hit down. I don't expect mm-hmm. stocks to crash, by the way. Uh, I don't you don't get a crash event. No. It's sort I of like a, China, like a water torture type of thing? A, a water slow... torture. It's arm wrestling. You know, you, when you have arm wrestling tops, like 2,000 top in the stock market, the only, uh, the only stock market crash that ever led to a bear market was 29. Mm-hmm. And even it had a 50% rally back to the high before it went down. But no major bear market in U.S. stocks ever proceeded with a crash event, meaning 30 to 35% drop within weeks. Mm-hmm. It never has happened. And I don't think it's going to happen this time. I think if we top the stock market, it will be more of an arm wrestling event where people will debate it mm-hmm. back and forth because you'll get your rallies, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Now, there's a big positive about that event for the gold market in particular. Mm-hmm. Everybody's concerned that the Fed at some point, because of the inflation that we're seeing rampantly in the commodity area, for example, might back off their monetary policy, mm-hmm. might tighten up a bit, you know, be, not, not be so recklessly loose. Yeah. If that stock market becomes a psychological negative for investors, even mm-hmm. people who aren't in the market are affected by the stock market because they have a sense of negativity when it goes down. They worry about whether they're going to get laid off, etc. Yep. Mm-hmm. If you introduce that negative into the economic uh, environment here, the Fed is going to be very concerned about that because they know, and even Bernanke wrote a paper on it, and I keep quoting that, he did yeah. back in 2003, that the Fed, one of its implicit tasks is to support the stock market in order to create psychological giddiness. <laughs> he didn't use that word, uh, but uh, that was his intent. And I'm sure that if you wobble that stock market, which has been quite strong for nine, ten months now, so it's not mm-hmm. been an issue for the Fed. If it suddenly becomes an issue, that means the Fed ain't going to back off. Mm-hmm. You can forget it. Right. Uh, regardless of what happens with the virus and all that stuff, uh, which mm-hmm. is going to get better, there's no question. Uh, the stock market could become the new dark cloud. So, Michael, uh, if I if I hear what you're saying, then you, you you sort of answered a question I had in mind for you, and that is, if we start to get a real strong bear market, not a not not a crash, but something like the 1970s, which I remember well as a young man at that time, uh, it was sort of an arm wrestling long term. I mean, the 70s were a brutal bear market, uh, as I recall. Actually, with all the inflation and all, somebody's pointed out that it was worse in the 1930s almost, or as bad as. So if we were to get something like that, what I hear you saying is there's no reason then that you should necessarily uh, dump your gold stocks along with everything else. No, I don't think there's a correlation. Yes, we've had some brief bouts where for four or five or six days, as in March of 2020, Mm -hmm. the GDX and the gold miners dropped with the stock market. That was a crash event in the stock market. Mm -hmm. So people were selling everything. I don't yeah. think we have a crash event coming. I think we have an arm wrestling event coming, uh-huh. which will be a bear, but the kind that's deceptive. And it's like the 2000 top. You didn't crash in the dot-com top and drop some almost 90% in the NASDAQ 
over the next two years, but you didn't crash. Mm-hmm. There were some good yeah. double-digit drops in that process, but nothing mm-hmm. approaching a crash where basically everybody had to dump everything for margin reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I don't buy into that notion. So I don't think we're going to get those folks who were nervous about the gold miner relationship to stocks, which I think is, is a very flimsy relationship. Mm-hmm. Only very small number of times can you find a linkage. Um, I think they're going to be ambushed by what happens, mm-hmm. especially if they've liquidated some of their gold mining positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll, they'll be sorry they did because I don't think the drop in the stock market is going to take the gold mining index down. Look at, this, look at the charts just since August. Yeah. GDX, all the gold miners have eroded down, not crashed, but just a constant layered arm wrestling match, while the stocks have gone up. Yeah. Michael, real quickly, with just less than two minutes left, uh, why do you think they, we won't have a crash? What makes you believe that it's going to be an arm wrestling decline? The technical structures that I see in the stock market, the bigger ones, the annual mm-hmm. momentum structures, quarterly momentum, mm-hmm. they're too widely spaced. Meaning, mm-hmm. imagine the domino again. You know, it, it, it's not, they're not so close together that when you drop one, it's going to hit the other and hit the other. Back in March, okay. we had trigger numbers that were so close together that you took uh-huh. out weekly, monthly, and annual within days. Uh-huh. We don't have okay. that now. All yeah. right. Well, that could be reassuring for those of us uh, gold guys that have all these gold shares. That's, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've been, I've been I, you know, looking at the Especially idea, maybe I should shares. build some cash. <laughs> and, and having yeah. some cash around is probably not a bad idea when things get cheap, but uh, they're certainly not cheap at this point in time. I, I yeah. guess we'll have to leave it go at that. I, I, I guess commodities are looking very strong. Oh, they're they're uh, explosively strong, and they're, I see, like, I some see of your them Bloomberg, doing a report Bloom- right now are ready to launch on a second phase. Yeah, I saw your Bloomberg uh, charts. Uh, Bloomberg commodity chart looks very bullish this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All okay. right. Very good. Well, thank, thank you, Michael, you, for for being with okay. us again. Always good to have you. And uh, a couple of extra minutes is is golden for us. More ways, uh, literally and figuratively. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Jay. All right, folks, we're going to go to break now, but don't go away because we're going to be with Alistair McLeod, who's going to tell us why he's convinced that, you know, you might think he's crazy. He thinks we're going to go back to some sort of a gold-backed monetary system again. Ah, I don't think many people believe that, so we want to hear why he thinks that's, that's the case. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Alistair McLeod. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency Podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Music. 
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Terms into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have with me once again, Alistair McLeod. He's uh, one of our most frequent and most favored guests on this show. His weekly articles are posted every Thursday on uh, the Research Insights page at Gold Money. And if you seek a view based on market forces rather than propaganda based on Keynesian economic religion, you really do need to read Alistair's weekly uh, missives. They are very, very important uh, a can't-miss-read for me every week, and that's why I'm really happy to welcome him back. Thanks for joining us again, Alistair. That's very much my pleasure, Jay. Very good to hear from you, and, and you do sound a little differently today because you're on a phone, and I was remarking before we started here that it, it sounds a little bit like the uh, the old-time radio um, audios that we, that we hear these days. But uh, anyway, you sound good. Glad that you could be with us again. Um, you know... We've titled today's show after your April 15th article titled, Why the Future Money is Gold and Silver. But actually, before we get into that topic, I would like to have you uh, provide an overview of your April 22nd article titled, Why Interest Rate Management Fails. Uh, Because I think it explains why central banks are digging our monetary system into a deeper and deeper hole that guarantees, ultimately guarantees the collapse of our monetary system. Uh, that, that really sets the stage for a return to gold, as you're suggesting in your April 15th article. Since the financial crisis of 2008, a huge amount of money has been pumped into the financial system, but it isn't getting lent out into the economy as it was previously. And I, I noticed a chart the other day, and this was separate from your article. There are four banks, four of the top banks in the United States have piled up $2.5 trillion more in deposits than in loans. It seems a lot like the pushing on the string analogy that uh, some made of the 1930s Great Depression. Can you explain why banks are not lending out all that money that's sitting in the, uh, in the system? Uh, yes, certainly. Um, the, the reason they're not lending it out actually is quite simple. Uh, their balance sheets are very highly geared. They haven't actually got much space on the balance sheets. Uh-huh. So they're reluctant to lend more money into the non-financial um, private sector. Um, instead, what they would rather do is play the bull markets in, uh, you know, obviously, we've got government bonds, um, which when it comes to zero interest rates, because banks uh, really um, uh, walk out beyond uh, a five-year maturity, they feel quite mm-hmm. comfortable in that space. Uh, and um, uh, on top of that, of course, there's agency debt, and then there's other financial things going on, and you've got a bull market in equities. So that's really where they have um, moved their balance sheet concentration. And if you look at just the big banks, as reported by um, uh, on the H8 uh, Fed's uh, uh, mm-hmm. form, you can see that um, roughly uh, 61% of their balance sheet uh, is, is, is aimed at non-financial lending, and the rest is financial lending. Now, this mm-hmm. has changed from a longer-term relationship of over 70% 
uh, of the bank's balance sheet going into non-financial lending. So Mm -hmm. you can see how they've reduced their position. There is a difference between the big banks and the smaller banks. The smaller banks who tend to know their customers a lot better than the big Mm -hmm. banks, Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, have maintained a roughly 70% exposure to the non-financial sector. But you can see that, um, you know, apart from the attractions of uh, dealing in financials, financial things, um, in the wake of uh, all the, the COVID shutdowns and you've got um, uh, some very substantial problems in Things like shopping malls, you've got problems in the, you know, within, in the aircraft industry, the hospitality industry, and so on and so forth. You've also got supply chain disruption. Mm-hmm. So you can see that there is every reason why uh, the banking sector is, is, has gone really very, very cautious on increasing their exposure uh, to uh, the non-financial uh, part of the economy. And, of course, this has huge impacts on uh, uh, the situation um, once we come out of lockdowns, because um, obviously, you know, we hear about people's um, cash balances have risen. They, they're going out, they're buying property, they're, they're even buying super yachts, for goodness sake. I mean, anything that you can gear up on, um, you know, the, the, the middle classes have been doing that. And it's not just in America, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, cons- con- consequently, uh, once the lockdowns uh, end, you can see that there is going to be um, a brief tsunami of money, if you like, going out of these accounts uh, um, into the economy. And there isn't the product there to satisfy it. And this is why we're beginning to see enormous inflationary pressures build up. Yeah, we are seeing it. And uh We're going to hear from our Fed chairman tomorrow, and um, somebody said he's going to say, don't believe your lying eyes. I guess, uh, you know, (laughs) we're not supposed to believe there's any inflation problem, right? I mean, there never is any inflation problem, Alistair. You know that. Well, we know that because the, the, the statistics um, have been adjusted so that we don't notice it. But it is, I mean, it is going to be interesting to see what um, uh, the Fed says tomorrow because so far what they've, all they've done is they've said, yes, we can see that uh, prices will rise um, uh, a bit faster than our 2% target, but we're going to go for an average of 2% um, uh, over time, and therefore we think that this is a, a phenomenon that will will go away and we will return back towards our 2% target, so nothing to worry about. But, but, one wonders. I mean, these pressures are certainly there. They're greater, I think, than the Fed thought they were perhaps uh, a few months ago. And it'll be interesting to see whether they modify their stance just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, people here are being paid not to work, essentially. Uh, the restaurants are having a hard time finding people to, uh, to go back to work because they're finding, you know, the lower paid jobs are getting more from the government and so forth. So there's a lot of reasons. And you're saying supply chain disruptions and so forth. So if I hear what you're saying, with all this money in the system, people really chafing at the bit to spend it and to buy things and probably to buy tangibles, are you really concerned then that we have an inflationary problem that might get out of hand? And if that happens, then what happens to the bond markets? Uh, yes, precisely. And, and uh, I mean, inflation is, is, is there. Inflation is money. 
in the last year, M2, and they've modified M2 to make it look slightly uh, less alarming, but M2 has gone up, I think, something like 22% over the last uh-huh. uh, 12 months or so. Now, this is, um, you know, the, the effect on prices is, is enormous. And, of course, immediately uh, they started doing QE at $120 billion a month, which was um, March uh, uh, 2020. Um, at that point, uh, commodity prices just took off, and they haven't stopped rising. I mean, you, you just look at things like lumber um, and also some of the food, uh, you know, the foodstuffs like soybeans and maize and so on. I mean, you know, they, they've just gone through the roof. Uh, and, um, you know, this is, this is going to hit ordinary people. I mean, ordinary people who can't get jobs, ordinary people who are living, if you like, um, you know, in the hope of, um, you know, sort of being bailed out by the government. This is, this is actually very, very serious for the ordinary person in America. And, and do remember that before all this happened, um, the statistics, uh, both in the, in the U.S. and the U.K., said that uh, salaried people, uh, roughly 70% of them lived paycheck to paycheck. Uh-huh. What's happened to them? This is, you know, this is, this is serious. And I, I, another point I'd like to make, uh, Jay, is that um, we hear an awful lot about economic recovery and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. Now, this is predicated on uh, perhaps the middle classes, the professional classes, who have managed to continue to get an income through mm-hmm. the, the pandemics. Um, we're talking about lawyers, doctors, accountants, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth, stockbrokers even. Um, and uh, consequently, they've got money to spend. These are the people targeted by the mainstream media. The mainstream media says everything looks jolly nice. But Mm -hmm. actually, if you look at the wider economy, um, the wider consumer uh, uh, situation, it is not nearly as rosy as being made out. Absolutely, which means then uh, even more government money, uh, central bank created money out of nothing, pumped into the system. I suppose helicopter money is what is needed uh, for those people, I mean, they're not going to get bank loans or even credit card loans. They need they they need uh, Uncle Joe to send them some money. I think that's right, and um, I, I think it'll happen. I mean, the idea that we're going to get a wonderful economic recovery and that's going to sort out the government deficit. I mean, I, to me, that's just uh, cloud cuckoo land. It really is. Um, that's not going to happen. So, Alistair, you made some comparisons in your uh, in your most recent article, the, uh, the one about interest rates, to the 1930s in some ways. Uh, that was a deflationary period of time, and the dollar gained strength. I, I think you're not looking at it in that way. I think you're looking at it in terms of getting money into the into the economy through the banking system. Maybe there's some similarities there, but you're certainly not looking then for any kind of a deflationary uh, outcome in a stronger dollar, are you? Uh, no, the big difference between 1929-32 and the current era is that in 1929-32, prices reflected the fact that the dollar was fixed at $20.67 to the ounce of gold. So prices, mm-hmm. in effect, were um, more or less in gold, if you like, through the dollar. Yep. Today, of course, we've got a completely fiat currency. And uh, consequently, um, the purchasing power of the currency is taking the strain. And uh, it is uh, falling at quite a substantial rate in terms of the things that uh, you would buy with it. Um, 
Now, this is yet to work through in its most dramatic form to uh, final goods, but you can already see in terms of uh, commodity prices, just as I mentioned just now, how weak um, uh, not only the dollar but other currencies are measured against those commodities. And it's not for nothing that uh, we've seen the cryptocurrencies go absolutely wild um, in this money printing uh, environment. Uh, and uh, it's, you know, also, um, you know, silver has gone up um, uh, substantially, gold less so. Um, but that gold is, is, is the aberration in this situation. And I, I would expect that that um, is, if you like, it's, it's, it's very much uh, the clearest signal that the markets are broken, the markets are mm-hmm. distorted. And when you get that, the return to um, uh, proper market pricing can be very sudden. And that return, I think, is likely to catch a lot of people out, people who uh, may be committed to uh, cryptocurrencies, to equities, to uh, uh, bonds, fixed interest bonds. And all that could change very rapidly overnight. So... um, the point is that markets are really broken, and uh, this is quite a dangerous situation for people trying to protect their capital. Yeah, well, markets may be broken. You see it, and people that look closely, especially through the eyes of Austrian economics, see the market is broken. But the vast majority of people don't see that. They don't, they don't see it. What will it take for people to see it, for it be, to be broadly recognized that the markets are broken and, and cause them to look for something different than uh, than Uncle Joe and more dollars. I think the key thing to to look out for is the next rise in uh, term yields on fixed interest bonds. Uh-huh. Um, we've had one rise so far. I mean, if you look at the ten-year U.S. Treasury, the yield on that has risen from a low of about 0.54 percent. It's currently around about 1.6, 1.7 percent. Uh-huh. It's consolidating at this level. The next move up through 2%, I think will probably undermine, begin to undermine equity markets and change things around. So that, to my mind, is the key to the whole thing. And remember, we've, we've had this conversation before, Jay, that um, mm-hmm. this is just so much like uh, the situation in France in 1720 when yep. um, uh, you know, uh, John Law basically puffed up uh, the one uh, stock, which was the Mississippi Venture, uh, to, um, uh, well, to pay taxes on the one hand and also to equip a fleet because he had a monopoly on France's imports and exports. And um, that collapsed, and the currency collapsed with it. And what are we doing today? We're doing exactly the same experiment, except it's on a global scale, and it is far, far larger. So mm-hmm. collapse of, of markets, and they are very overvalued. I mean, more so, perhaps, than uh, at the time of the dot-com bubble. Um, so that situation, uh, when I talk about markets being broken, I mean, and markets um, then repricing properly, that is going to be a major, major impact. So look out for interest rates. That would be my, my uh, advice. Yeah, interest rates start to rise, um, and uh, it breaks things. So obviously, we can't take much more than 2% or so before, and, and not to mention the governments uh, and what that means for the government borrowing and so forth, and who's going to buy. So, so they're going to, uh, the Fed will presumably try to put, suppress the rates and not allow them to go where the market would require them to fund the deficit. 
Uh, and so that means more and more faster and faster money is going to have to be printed and created by the Fed in order to try to keep hold things together. At some point, you would think the dollar would give way. You would think that fiat currencies generally would start to – people would start to lose confidence when they start to recognize uh, that they're – you know, what's going on, right? And is that when the system breaks down and people are going to need to look for when – the, when the confidence is lost in the dollar in the system – that's when they might start to look for alternatives. Yes, I think, I think the confidence goes in, in financial markets first, um, and then the dollar, if you like, gets hit mm-hmm. as a consequence. The interesting thing, though, is back in 1720, um, uh, Richard Cantillon, who was a very shrewd banker, and we know him in another context, mm-hmm. uh, he played uh, the failure of the John Law uh, thing, basically not by uh, shorting the stock, but by shorting the currency, which he did Mm -hmm. in uh, the London and Amsterdam exchanges. And Mm -hmm. he was absolutely right, because there was some residual value in the stock, but the point was that the French livre went to zero. So he did Mm -hmm. extremely well, and that was his second fortune. And I think that's probably a pretty good uh, steer as to uh, how we should look at things now. Okay, with just a few minutes, not enough time left, Alistair. Well, let's get to your... Uh, to your the, the uh, article about why gold is the inevitable place to go, why why the markets are going to demand it, even if governments kick and scream against it. Uh, in your April fifteenth article, you say that those who think crypto is the money of the future are, and I quote you, naive, exposing hardly any knowledge of what qualities are needed for sound money. So, can you talk about the attributes required to make money sound? And why, when given a choice, you are confident that the public will choose gold and or possibly silver to an extent, but not Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. Talk about the attributes that make for sound, uh, for sound money. Okay, well, the first thing is that it must be beyond the control of governments and it must be in the control of the people. The people decide um, uh, how much money uh, they need in their uh, basic economies. So that's, that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is that uh, the sound money of the future must be flexible. And in the case of gold, uh, the way to look at it is that roughly 60% of it is in jewelry. Some of that jewelry is very close to being uh, monetary gold, but uh-huh. uh, the balance, which is around about 80,000 tons, of which 35,000 tons is in the hands of the central banks, you could call um, uh, monetary gold. Now, the point is that if demand for gold increases, then there is a supply, and it comes in through mines and also through scrap. So mm-hmm. uh, you do have the flexibility. You can run a bond market in, um, in gold-backed currencies. And most importantly, when you get a collapse of paper currencies, the only asset, non-fiat asset, that central banks have is physical bullion. So they will mobilize that to stabilize their currencies. Now, I mean, in the past, we've seen this happen uh, um, uh, fairly late in the game. You could, you know, you could easily see a situation where the collapse of the dollar is such that the price in terms of a ounce of gold will be over $100,000 uh, an ounce. And now, bear in mind, that's not gold going up. That's dollar going down. Exactly. Uh, you know, that, is, that is the key to understanding this situation. But um, this contrasts with Bitcoin, for example, which people tout as the money of the future, because that's got no flexibility at all. If you were to have a bond market in Bitcoin, then I would guess you would have to have heavily negative interest rates simply because 
uh, over time, production is likely to expand. Um, uh, it's it, you know it always has done in the past. Yet, whereas there is a cap on Bitcoin at twenty-two uh-huh. million Bitcoin, and that is it. Mm-hmm. Of course, so there are other currencies too. Work. Yeah, there's other there's ever other cryptocurrencies too, but. Uh, Clearly, they all, you know, they don't have the acceptability, the public acceptability over thousands of years that gold, uh, gold and silver have. So, um, absolutely, yes, absolutely. And and think think about most of the users. I mean, they're not tech savvy people. All right, they've got mobile phones and all the rest of it, but they're not tech savvy people. You know, they actually like to sort of, you know. Um, uh, know that uh, they've got gold coins, or if they've got paper money, that they can exchange it for gold coins. And you're not going to change that just through through technology. As you point out in your article, the reason you buy gold is not to get rich. You buy it to preserve wealth. You buy it because you're you're fearful, or you believe there's a chance that the currencies are, are going to lose value. And so it's sort of an insurance policy. Um, and and I guess if you want to invest, you might you might buy gold shares or you might buy some other things uh, that make some sense. But um, y- you're quite convinced that that we're not that far away. I believe from uh, from a real a real problem with the confidence in in fiat currencies globally. Yeah. Yes. That's that. That's right. And uh, as we said earlier, when you get a rise in interest rates, and I think you made the point, which is absolutely correct. Uh, government finances uh, start sliding down the slippery slope very, very quickly. And uh, the only way in which they can um, uh, balance their books, basically, will be to print money because, um, you know, we've, we've got an economy which uh, is not robust. There is the hope there will be some consumer spending, but that's going to drive up prices for the reasons we've just discussed. And interest rates will therefore rise. And when interest rates rise government finances will be irretrievably bust and visibly so and uh, you know at that stage how do you how do you value um, a government well you look at its currency and say well you know its currency perhaps is is far too high and we ought to sell it and that's you know and it's not just the dollar it's every other currency and the problem yeah. is that every other currency is also tied to the dollar yeah, with well, just a, a couple of minutes left here yet, uh, Russia and China have been building their gold reserves. Historically, it, it has always been the case that when countries start accumulating gold, it's a sign of their wealth and their prosperity and their growth, uh, their ascension, if you will, towards greater wealth. Whereas when countries see their, their gold leaving their shores, it's usually a sign of, of the opposite, that uh, things are not as good as they once were. What do you make of this massive rise in gold holdings by China and, uh, and Russia to a lesser extent, uh, probably a lot greater than the Chinese are, are admitting to, right? Yes. I, uh, in, in my view, and I can't, I can't substantiate this, but uh, there is a lot of circumstantial evidence that supports my view, uh, the Chinese have probably got about 20,000 tons, maybe even 25,000 tons of gold, which is not declared as monetary gold. Now, this is important because um, I think that uh, the, um, if you like, the intelligence services in America realize this. The last thing they will want to see is gold coming back as money because uh, 
it would immediately empower uh, China in particular, mm-hmm. but also Russia, because Russia is a, is a major producer and presumably has done the same thing in terms of uh, keeping some uh, gold off the books, as it were. Uh, and so gold would favor Asia against uh, against America. Now, America is meant to have 8,132 tons, but of course that hasn't re- been properly audited for some considerable time. We don't actually know what the central banks really have, but the one thing that we can be fairly certain of, and that is that while Western central banks have leased their gold, perhaps it hasn't been returned, we don't know that situation, mm-hmm. but as far as China and Russia are concerned, they are likely to have considerably more gold than they let on. Right, and indeed Russia has uh, decided it's going to try to use the dollar as little as uh, as infrequently as possible. So, uh, Alistair, I think, go ahead real quickly. Yeah, no, I, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, the various attacks on Russia in the past, the financial attacks, have convinced Russia that it needs to be separate from the SWIFT banking settlement yeah. system. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it needs to get away from the dollar so that it can't be attacked uh, by uh, the withholding of payments uh, by uh, America um, to, you know, as a means of attacking Russia. Right, exactly. Alistair, I want to thank you very much again for being with us. Your insights are always very, very valuable. Uh, and we thank you very kindly for being with us and uh, look to have you back again sometime soon. Thank you so my, much. My pleasure, Jay. All right, folks, that is it for this week. Next week, Peter Buchbar will be with me for the first time. He's with the Blakely Advisory Group, and Chris Taylor of the Great Bear Resources Company will join me. Until then, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 